Hello. If you're hearing my voice right now, then you have stumbled onto the podcast where real stories of professional criminal profilers are told by professional assholes. Welcome to Profiling Pain. How's it going, co-filers? This is Chris Payne, your host. I'm here with... Jaime in Fuego, yo, what up? So, I know it's been kind of a while since you've heard from us, um, but the numbers continue to climb. Uh, we get new subscribers every single day, so thank you very much for that. We're actually being listened to in, in five continents right now, which is pretty amazing. It's a blessing and humbling, but awesome. Um, and by the time this actually releases, uh, we should have a private Facebook group for all the co-filers, man. So, Profiling Pain, you guys can... Talk to us directly. You guys can uh, even suggest cases you want to hear um, and talk amongst yourselves and, I mean, actually build a cool community out of this. I really like the idea that people are kind of climbing onto the, the profiling pain bandwagon, I suppose. So it's, it's pretty sweet. Um, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Um, currently, we've got, especially when it comes to Fuego and the Horror Show, which yes, we plug that often. It's convention season, and so there's going to be the Phoenix Film Festival with its international horror and sci-fi branch. So... If you're anywhere in the Arizona area, I mean, definitely come out to the Scottsdale 101. I believe it's April 4th through the 14th. And so you've got films going on at night and some stuff during the daytime. But if you like spooky and scary and weird weird stuff, hence the kind of topics we cover here, yeah, you can definitely find some fun stuff there. Yeah, and outside of that, it's also uh, getting to be show season for Chiron. So we're going to be uh, pretty busy this summer. Um, right now we don't have too much booked up because we are in the process of recording. I know we keep saying that, but it's true. And then it's um, a process. It is, is a it, process. Is what it boils down to. Even getting the stuff going today, we were just like, up, oh, change man. this cable, so on and so forth. Let's hope everything works out. Yeah, it's we're kind of working against Murphy's law here. Anything that could go wrong has gone wrong, but I think we might be past that. Um, Fingers firmly crossed, sir. <laughs> we do have a set show date for July 19th. We're going to be playing in Chandler. Uh, more to come on that once the flyers and everything else approaches. But I can tell you it is all ages. The doors do open at 6, and it is $10 a ticket. And uh, we'll probably have some pre-sale, and maybe we'll give some away through here. We'll give some away through uh, Facebook for Chiron. Also, uh, something I have been lacking that has been brought to my attention. I do not put any of the show links for anything that we do in any of the descriptions for the show. So anybody that's ever wanted to email us probably hasn't spelled it correctly because we haven't received too many of those. Um, you guys have found my Instagram. You guys have found my personal Facebook, some of you freaks, um, which is all right. They're I out I there. I, yeah, I, I get it with Stephen King, so, really you know. I don't mind the attention. But, um, but we haven't put any of the links in any of the show descriptions, so that's also going to change. So there will be a link to the Facebook page we're going to start. And then also... I have um, those links in the YouTube version of this. Okay, That's the only go. place I guess they're floating. So, so um, also, we're going to be recording a webisode for our YouTube page, which there will be a link to, and that's at Centartainment on, on YouTube. Um, we're trying to build that thing up. Uh, and soon... That's for our goofy creativity, is yeah. the webisodes. That's like basically the behind the scenes of the Chiron silliness is the best I can describe it as. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's when we get to do our, our, our stage personas, but in not such a serious light. So we're not screaming at you. Kind of behind the screams sort bit. of thing. Yeah, like yeah. that. Um, and then what else, what else, what else? That's I mean, that's really about it right now. Yeah, um, that's the roundtable for now. Yeah, and then uh, maybe if we get enough people uh, subscribing to the Facebook page, we get a, we get a large enough community going. Uh, we'll start doing maybe monthly ask me anything. If there's any cases we cover, and there's stuff that I because I leave at, I leave stuff out of every case. I just there's a lot of things that there's uh, only so much you can get to, man. Yeah, I try to keep just the important stuff in. So I mean, it, it could be if you just want to BS with us, or if you want to ask specific questions about our fixation with this, or 
anything or if you just want to talk about how your day's going. So we might do an Ask Me Anything uh, here sh in a few weeks. We'll, we'll see. Um, April will be really big for the show. Um, and then that's it. So current events. Um, today is March 17th, 2019. Patty's um, Day, yo. Irish yeah, represent. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Not a happy subject we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. Like, oh, man, how do we celebrate? Well, let's get drunk and talk about murderers. Hmm. Um, so I don't know if you guys have been following the news or not, but Friday, so just 48 hours ago for us, uh, New Zealand had their worst uh, mass shooting. Uh, one man uh, by the name of, when I can read my notes here, uh, Brenton Harrison Tarrant. He, uh, he, he live-streamed on social media um, him going into two different mosques in New Zealand and killing upwards of 50 people, injuring even more, um, which has brought Crazy. a lot of different things to light. So there's a lot of debate on whether or not social media sites should be even offering live-streaming anymore, which me and Fuego have discussed that that takes away from so many artists if they, if they do that. Massively, in fact, and also because of the fact that it's... It is the closest and most personal way that you can connect with your audience and interact with them. And I, I mean, you know, that's what if you have your art of any kind, whether it's music, whether it's, you know, doing documentary, you know, kind of profiling type stuff like this, or whether it's, you know, making movies or TV or whatever the hell it may be. If you're in the creative sphere and you're making it or you're covering it, that's how that's how you interact. And it's the best possible way to do it. And it's the most fulfilling way for your supporters, followers, friends, fans, whatever you want to say. So, And not just that either. I mean, if you've got family on the other side of the country and you want them to enjoy in real time something that's going on at the family event, that's how you do it. I mean, we've done it. So, I mean, taking that away. You said like baby showers and stuff. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean. Birthday parties. I mean, when I, when I was working in New York, um, I actually, you know, through, I mean, it was through FaceTime, but it's the same principle. I was able mm -hmm. to watch, you know, my son celebrate his birthday and Christmas and stuff like that, even though I was working 3,000 miles away from him. Yeah. So, I mean, it, broadcasting to the public, though, you know, anybody can see it as opposed yeah. to a FaceTime, which is, you know, <sighs> I don't know, man. It's a it's, it's a tough topic of censorship that scares me, you yeah. know, because you can't I mean, you can't make everybody suffer just because of one, even if it is like you said, you know, one bad apple spoiling the bunch and whatnot, sometimes messing it up for everybody. But... And then on top of that, to cover this guy, truly. He was actually obsessed with, uh, do you remember a couple years ago that Norwegian massacre that happened? Um, so that the, the guy that did the Norwegian massacre uh, became this guy's, like, ha. That was his, his idol, what he wanted to be. Like, he, he talked about this guy in his manifesto a lot. He was also a self-proclaimed uh, white supremacist, neo-Nazi, you know, white nationalist. Mm. And then... What gets even weirder, just to keep it, because I know this is a profiling podcast, <laughs> uh, he actually inscribed on his guns the names of other mass shooters throughout the last few years. Right? He named his guns after other mass shooters. Building creepy obsessiveness to yeah, an insane like, degree, man. And also happening in a country that I, I love the culture yeah. and, you know, whether it's, you know, comedy or, you know, Peter Jackson and horror that he did or whatever. And... Lord of the Rings. Yeah, and it's it's just not to say that it hits so much harder because I have so much respect for the country and you know their people and stuff. But that's that's really the way I feel. So yeah, so, and it's, yeah, it's it affecting is. the political climate worldwide with with his little manifesto there. Because now, uh, if you want to check out tally marks, there's actually more terrorists domestic tally and abroad. Marks? Yeah, there's more terrorist attacks domestic and abroad now of white supremacists than there are Muslims. Like they're you know or or of Islamic extremists. Sorry. Um, now that was like decade, fifteen years ago, and it's still it's still prevalent, especially yeah. if we see this particular uh, shooting and the demographic that it went after and everything. 
it's I, I feel like that's why some of these shootings that are religiously based or racially based get more coverage than other, you know, high death toll stuff like we right. talked about. Which brings to light the, uh, the shooting in Brazil that mm-hmm. happened. Uh, 24 hours prior to this one, but it didn't get nearly the, the media coverage that, that this one did. And I think it has a lot to do with the white supremacist. It has a lot to do with the religion aspect of it. It has a lot to do, you know what I mean? There's a lot of different things. And, and I'm sure we'll get more information as time goes on about the Brazil shooting. Uh, I believe their new president, who they refer to as the South American Trump, he's going to be meeting with Trump, I believe, this week. And who knows what they're going to be discussing. Surprise, <laughs> But it's just the political climate worldwide is crazy. Like, oh, they just had a, that, that whole conference they had just uh, a couple weeks ago, or last week, I believe, was with uh, Kim Jong-un. And, yeah, and they, they were walking around holding hands and everything. Yeah, but per satellite, per satellite imagery, they said that his nuclear factories are up and running again, and they're even uh, predicting that he's going to be doing another uh, missile test. When just a few months ago... Him and Trump had the whole agreement. He wasn't going to do anything like that anymore. Like, you know, he was, you know, kicking little Kimmy in the nuts and everything's going to be fine. So and maybe Trump thinks that war with China is inevitable. And so he wants North Korea as an ally with nukes to destroy China. Uh, you know what? That's just me that ranting off. <laughs> crazy conspiracy theory, and I like it. So, but we're going to we're gonna go ahead and get into that our was, case. That now. was said in jest, by the way. <laughs> Which, you know what? Some of the craziest things are usually ones that end up being true. Kind of like today's case. Sometimes life is stranger than fiction. So today we're going to cover the Hillside Stranglers. We're also going to cover, uh, you know, nature versus nurture, as well as uh, one of our guys, once he gets caught in the whole thing, he's one of the first people to actually get onto the stand. And, uh, and have multiple personalities on the stand. Uh, his name is Kenneth Bianchi, but he blames Steve for all the stuff that happens. And yet he was deemed fit to go to trial and everything and actually be on the witness stand despite all of that. The thing about it, as, as we'll get into on the next episode, is that the main detective the entire time just went, bullshit! Like, he didn't believe a thing coming out of this guy's mouth. But that's going to be on a later episode. So this he is... was faking insanity to try to get away with it sort of thing. Well, that's Maybe? what they say. That's, hmm. that's what one guy believed. And then a lot of the, there's specifically who we'll cover. There was one therapist who was like, no, I believe it through and through. This is really happening. And when everybody else is like, no, no bad. So anyway, we're going to, we're going to get cover that. But first, as we often do, we're going to start with location and the early years. Uh, so the majority of these actually took place just outside the Hollywood Hills in Glendale, California. Um, and they became known as the Hillside Stranglers because they would do their deeds one spot. And his Hillside Stranglers, plural, right? Yeah. Well, at the beginning of the case, which I didn't really feel was that important, they were like, oh, so one part it was just the Hillside Strangler in original tabloids. But then the extent of DNA testing, which we'll cover, showed that there was two people, and we'll get into how they figured that out. That's what I was trying to clarify. I was yeah. like, I was like, we got a plural thing going down here? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's... Uh, Let's just get into it. Yes. All right. So from October of 1977 to February of 1978, a total of 10 girls and women ranging in ages from 12 to 27 were kidnapped, raped, and killed. I'm sick already. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those. Uh, Oh, we're taking this to 11 again, guys. So the two monsters responsible came to be known as the Hillside Stranglers because the majority of the bodies were found on hillsides in the Los Angeles area. So this episode is going to be dark, and once again, we're going to be heavy. So the two creatures responsible uh, were kind of classic adaptations of what you would consider being two people who couldn't do it without each other. They both had the capabilities in themselves to eventually pull this off, but it's almost like justifying it for one another made them able to really come together to make one pure asshole. 
You know, it's like Wonder Twin Powers activate form of disturbed. It's like making murders. the opposite of the Megazord, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Except the two, two pieces together. And I got to say, I like how you called them creatures because they're obviously That's... not human beings. They're sick pieces of crap. You well, know, they're, they're creatures. They're subhuman. One of them is to just... To do stuff like this. One of them is just completely fucked up from jump. And the other one, you can kind of see, was made. So it's almost like... It's it's kind of like how Richard Chase was so screwed up and then everybody kind of failed him along the way so he never got fixed. So one person's life started off really hard another person was born, bred, raised, and died an asshole. And that's the first one we're going to cover. His name is Angelo Bono. All right? And it's spelt like bueno, but it's pronounced Bono. It's Italian. I was wondering. <laughs> now, he was born October 5th, bon. 1934 in Rochester. When his parents got a divorce, he moved with his mother and his older sister to the south part of Glendale, California in 1939. Other side of the country, crazy. Yeah. yeah. So his mother, working at a shoe factory, like supporting Dodgers. herself and her kids, still found time somehow to take her kids to church. Now, however, a Catholic mass in school had no effect on Angelo. He remained uneducated throughout his entire life and never, ever possessing a positive moral compass. So as a teenager, he actually idolized a convicted robber, kidnapper, and rapist, uh, Carol Chessman. Now, he was called the Red Light Bandit. Now, Carol Chessman wrote... This dude actually had a poster of Carol Chessman on his wall. Like, it was crazy. I've heard the name thrown around before. It was obviously somebody who, almost like natural-born killer status, got fame through their robbing. Exactly. Bonnie and Clyde status. I'm not 100% sure, but I think Carol Chessman might have actually been one of the people... Because uh, it happened a lot, like Richard Ramirez. A lot of these guys actually ended up getting married while in prison just from having surprise, fans. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, it's sick. It's twisted. But they became rock stars at some point. Women love this stuff, man. It's, yeah. It, I don't get it. But. Now, Bono was actually what you would consider a sex offender from childhood, even getting kicked out of school for grabbing girls in the bathroom. And, <laughs> and he often uh, boasted to his friends about raping and sodomizing girls. Like, that's just the personality that this cocksucker had. Now, not surprising that Angelo would get in trouble with the law throughout his entire life. He had his first child in 1956, which, holy crap, I can't imagine us having kids. And he even was married once or twice. But he married the mother this first time. However, he left her a week after and never even giving her a cent for the baby and completely just avoiding all responsibility for the child. That happened a lot of the time. It happened to Stephen King's dad in the 50s. His dad just disappeared, and so he just grew up with a mother. Yeah, and he wouldn't, and when uh, the short time he even, like, saw the boy later on in life, he refused to even let the kid call him dad. Like, he was that kind of prick. Now, he actually had multiple children and multiple wives throughout the years, and he abused all of them, physically and sexually. He, he would, one time, he actually raped one of his wives in front of his kids, saying that they had to learn. Uh, even raping his own daughter and then passing her to his friends, saying that we need to make her good at sex because she's not going to be worth anything else later in life. The man... Hated his children, hated oh himself. Yeah, he was God, he dude. was a bastard. Now you outs- just killed me with that I last know. line of consciousness. Yeah. Like, holy crap! That's, I'm telling you. So now, outside of just being complete evil, he also found time to build a good reputation as an auto upholster. He even so we had the two face thing going on. Yeah, obviously, yeah. he had the image that you know was purported to everybody as far as professionally, and then there was the behind the scenes insanity right. of his life. And yeah. side note, he actually did the upholstery on uh, one of Frank Sinatra's vehicles. So that's, I mean, he was a damn good upholster. If he just made that. He's around Hollywood, man. I mean, yeah. yeah. And he's good at what he does. Yeah. Or was. So eventually he actually bought a place at 703 East Coronado Street. Uh, It was his residence and his upholstering shop. So he lived and worked out of the same building. He never really had to leave. Now, 
living alone and having no employees. He did everything himself. He was able to do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. So this obviously post all the marriages and kids, and then he, he just went into like exile. So now there's there's a lot of talk actually that Bono uh, was what you would call I guess a smooth talker like he was everybody every woman that's ever come in contact with him said that he would start off super sweet to get what he wanted and then the dude was just insane he was very abusive and he only cared for sodomy like he was just insane so it was all behind you know I mean he was he was just a freak when it came to that now that's Bono that in a nutshell that's his entire personality that's his that's his MO that's his his profile so to speak upholstery and and sodomy that's all he did now, for number Time two, for and Kenneth Bianchi. All right, Kenneth Alessio Bianchi. He uh, he's more of a sad case. Now he was born May twenty second in nineteen fifty one in Rochester, New York, as well. Now his mother mm. was actually a seventeen year old alcoholic prostitute that gave him up at birth. Good lord. Now he spent, adoption services. Then? Yeah. So yeah. well, he went into foster care immediately, and he spent the first three months of his life pretty much bouncing between foster home and foster home and pretty much only being left in a corner of bassinet, he never really truly felt human affection or human touch for the first three months of his life. Right, which they say that the first six months of a child being it born, so it's crucial. so groundwork, man. Yeah, yeah. so he spent the first three months of his life just crying in a corner. Like, never, and there's, a, there's actually a study out there saying that the more a child cries and goes unattended, um, it is supposed to do something to their stress levels in their body, and it actually increases their adrenaline and their uh, what's what I'm looking for, their aggressiveness. Like a child will become more. I mean, I don't. I hate to relate it to like animals or anything no, like that. No, that's wild. Well, we but are animals of an elevated variety. Yeah. Yeah. So th- what it is is it creates a, a higher level of aggressiveness in children, and that's how you get more more bullies and stuff like that. There's people who have never really been coddled or cuddled. You know what I mean? And I actually read a book uh, a long time ago called The Human Mind, and there was a study done where they took two kids. Mm-hmm. All right. And this was like in the 1940s. And one kid uh, was just given the necessities to maintain. It was a set of twins. Um, and then the other child was actually loved, nurtured, you know, whatever. So by the late teens, early 20s, the other kid had committed suicide after doing drugs and getting in all kinds of trouble. And oh, then the one, that, the one that was actually, like, catered to and loved and everything else ended up getting a college degree, probably becoming a doctor. Like, they didn't really – I didn't. I, it was, I read it so long ago. And it could have even just been made up. It could have been a theory. But because I don't remember exactly about, but the book was called The Human Mind. Okay, well, just to chime in though, it seems like the correlation is clear for the sheer fact yeah. that if in those institutes of like formitude and where you have to lay that, you know, very important just just behavioral norms and stuff like that, you have to actually experience it from, you know, somebody to actually pass that that energy, that teaching, that you know, the, you know, whatever along. And if you never felt it during those, like, very first moments and first, you know, months of life, it would obviously be tough, especially late in the game, to actually, you know, have that set in, that that principle, that that behavioral mentality. And so then how can you put it out into the world if you didn't experience it initially the way you were supposed to? So it makes, it makes sense, man. I mean, now, now, things didn't persist that way for Bianchi. Actually, he ended up going the opposite direction once he finally was adopted. Now, eventually being adopted by Frances Bianchi and her husband, by the time he could talk, his parents were already aware of the fact that they were dealing with a compulsive liar. Now, he, you know, he would make up crazy stories, and he would just off-the-wall things, and then he, and then like most people at the age of seven, he suffered, oh, sorry, not most people, most serial killers, if you no. go and check the study, he actually fell out of a tree and busted his noggin pretty good to the point where he had multiple concussions, and his mother, this time, as opposed to just being left in a corner for three months, this woman was overbearing as hell. 
over smothering over you and know there's a balance there too right and you know it's just different times in those formative mm-hmm. periods so, so much so that after the head injury she pulled him out of school for the remainder of the year and pretty much kept him in the house he was not to go anywhere or do anything okay now psycho status now yeah. shortly Norman after Bates. yeah now shortly after the head injury he started having mall seizures but at the time his mother thought that it was just like entranced daydreaming but if you looked at the kid, his eyes would roll aren't into they the, very similar? I mean, well, his I, eyes would roll into the back of his head, and she thought uh, that he was just having crazy, crazy daydreams. Took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, "No, he's having mall seizures. He's having mild seizures. It's not just daydreaming and drifting off." But she was mixing that with the compulsive lying, you know. And yeah. then, to keep well, which going, is what I was thinking too for a second until yeah. And, yeah. and okay. then to keep going yeah. with the McDonald triad, the kid uh, that which we discussed on the Richard Chase episode, the kid we developed did. a really serious uh, wedding problem. But it wasn't just bedwetting. He would pee himself constantly. So much so that the mom, Francis, thinking that she could get him, you know, punished to not do these things, would give him like a preemptive ass whooping, like, you better not pee your pants. And he would still do it to the point where they started calling it dribbling. He would dribble or he'd piddle or they had some cute little nickname for it. But she was so panicked and so worried about his health that she started taking him to doctor after doctor after doctor. Now, it's not one doctor. It's multiple doctors. And, and in each... turn, doing that, though, can mess kids up from being just the whole poked and prodded exactly. aspect for so, so damn long. And it wasn't just the poked and prodded aspect. It's the no, fact you're that like it, all, pig after it all revolved around his genitals because of the bedwetting problem. So, oh, God. So yeah. the multiple doctors he would go to. Sort of would, weird shit you'll be into right. or what could actually arouse you after all right. of that strange stuff going on. And he even talked about it later saying that it was almost the equivalent of rape in his mind because he would, he would see almost six doctors a week. And it was multiple doctors. Being roped in, drop your pants, check you out, do this, do that, you know. And then on top of that, having the overbearing mother at home. And then the father figure. And, and who knows if he was sexually abused to some degree, even if not completely intentionally right. from parents trying to, you know, like whatever it's, with and his it's little a wing. It's possibility, yeah. And yeah. I mean, I'm sure, I mean, it was, you know, 1950s and 60s. I'm sure there was good intentions behind it. Just yeah, to, you and know, that's a panic not, mother. And you that's know. why I backed off on saying sexually abused because it almost like an in, inadvertent sexual abuse yeah, it was based on that, yeah. that type of just trying to diagnose at home, which is usually what a lot of parents do in situations like that. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, okay, it's still not working, whether discipline or whatever. Now I take them to doctors. So. Yeah, so severe head injury mixed with, you know, not knowing any affection for the first part of, of his core development. Yeah, this is a perfect storm for psychosis, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. It's really what it's boiling and, down uh, to. And then once he started actually kind of developing a relationship with the father, the adoptive father, that man dies when he's 11. Right when he's getting ready right to go to puberty. Right when there could be some, some potential leeway. Exactly. And actually, and, and, and when puberty hits, that's another of those pivotal periods mm-hmm. where you can curb a lot of behaviors. Yep. You really A lot can. of psychologists will tell you that at age 12, your child is, is uh, what's the word? They're turning into something that they're, that they're not ready to turn into yet. Their yeah. body's, I mean, abruptly changing. That, that preteen stage it's right It's all there. that hormonal stuff, yeah. man. And it, it clouds judgments. But it also, it, it almost like softens the cl- Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Play a little bit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you have a better potential to mold, to mold a better exactly. person as a parent, as a good example, as somebody actively involved in their lives. Sometimes it takes more effort than some with others, but, you know, and, yeah, um, it's, a, it's a key window. 
and the kid just keeps experiencing loss after loss, you know, whether it be loss of the original parent, loss of this new parent, uh, loss of innocence in the way that he's looking at life, you know. And, and they pick me up just to throw me down. And that, of, that, can, that, that yeah. takes its toll too, man. And then loss of social skills by being pulled out of school for, for God knows how long he was out of school. An overbearing mother, overprotective, not really able to venture out and having to create these fantasies in his own mind, which if you spend too much time with yourself, you'll manifest terrible things, which is what he did. He actually, growing up, was he was very timid. He was very shy. He was actually really, really nice. Everybody described him as sweet. Like everybody called him Kenny, like endearing. He was just Kenny. Kenny. Yeah, Kenny. Mm-hmm. And uh, and any woman he ever actually dated even said that he was super sweet. You know, he was overly je- overly jealous and would throw fits like a child because he, that's just kind of the mentality he had. Yeah. Man, but for man the child happens and, with a lot of those kind of kids. Yeah, but for the initial courting and even just being in the relationship, he was always very sweet, very kind, unless he didn't get his way. But it wasn't like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was more like a man to a child. Now, Interesting. Yeah. So eventually, out of high school, he ended up uh, getting married right out of high school, right away. And then they just split. He wasn't responsible enough. He wasn't ready for it. They just split. They would actually, when they would argue, they would each call their mothers. They both had overbearing mothers. And that was they would actually talk through their mothers and how their mothers talked to them. Yeah, and that's work. what happened with so many of those kids in that era, man. Yep. I mean, because you, if you want to get... I mean, if you wanted to have sex, you had to get married. It was basically what it boiled down to with the social norms and perceptions and everything. And so there were a lot of marriages that either, I mean, much, much fewer ended back then, you know, because of the fact that it was frowned upon so often. And so that would probably almost heighten the likelihood of when, you know, two people shouldn't have got married and yet they're going to try to stick it out and they hate each other at that heightens the likelihood for yeah. domestic abuse and all kinds of different stuff. And so. the crazy thing about it is that you mix all these things together and the guy actually had an IQ of 116. Yeah, so he wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, you know, Einstein status, but he was no, still but, pretty but, damn yeah, smart. Yeah, sharp, man. And he realized that at a very young age. So he would try to manipulate his wife. He would try to manipulate... Well, it, well it, hence it, the lying you said as a kid. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think a really, really dumb kid... Unless, I mean, I guess it all depends on, you know, how, how savvy and, like, kind of sneaky you are about your lies and how well thought out it is. That's obviously the sign the of a smarter is, kid. The problem is that he would put more effort into his lies and creating the story around them than he would actually put into just doing what he's supposed to. And that was another complaint about his wife is that he was an over an over underachiever. I don't know how else to explain that. He would he would underachieve so much but overdo all these elaborate stories to do something greater. Like we're gonna cover Isn't that a lot of people in the creative yeah, sphere though? You have to true, dream yeah. big, but I mean it's always tough to actually accomplish your aspirations. So after he finally they ended up splitting, uh, he was just down. He couldn't he couldn't pick himself back up. And his mother actually entered a new relationship because now we're in his late teens, early 20s. His mother is now distracted with another relationship. In her eyes, Kenneth is a man, so you got to learn your own, you know, your own thing. You got to do something else. And Kenneth was telling her, you know, I, I don't think that I can achieve anything here in Rochester. And she said, well, I'll call your, I'll call your cousin Angelo in L.A. and I'll send you out there. He's a man. He'll man you up. So now... He goes to L.A. I got some L.A. Italians. I'll man you up, you know. And he's, uh, and he's sleeping on Angelo Bono's couch. So now... So they were cousins. They were cousins, exactly. Now Have they met about really a too much before? Not, not too, too much. There's about mm-hmm. a 20-year split between the two of them, too. Like I said, 1951, uh, 1934. Yeah. So they a 17-year difference. Um, but he's moving in with, essentially, Cousin Angelo. And he's, he's going to show him the ropes. He's got a big brother now, you right. know? So Bianchi moving in with Angelo... Seeing how Angelo treated women and seeing how Angelo, I mean, he became obsessed with the sex and the drugs and just the lifestyle of L.A. in the 1970s. Um, Which was nuts. <laughs> but Angelo, 
didn't have any doors on his rooms. He didn't have it was it was bare bones. I don't think he even had a stove in his house. Full on flop house, man. Right, exactly. So Angelo kind of got tired of Bianchi just kind of hanging around and was like, "You gotta go. You gotta get off my couch. I don't you want you go, here anymore. Bro. You're messing up my vibe." And uh, so they lived together for about three months until Angelo kicked him out. When he kicked him out, Bianchi actually tried he, his first real love, like career-wise. He wanted he wanted to be a, a police officer so bad, but that's where the underachieving portion came in. He couldn't pass the physical. He couldn't even. I mean, he just didn't study for any of the tests. But he would do ride-alongs all the time. He's obsessed with doing ride-alongs. But he eventually just took his uh, he, he he took a shot and went and got a normal job as a uh, as an insurance. Uh, uh, adjuster, I believe. So when Ken moved out, he moved into an apartment on 809 East Garfield Avenue and uh, he bought himself a 1972 Cadillac sedan. Uh, he got a job. Um, he had Bono uh, working on it. I wanted to get in the detail yeah. all nice and stuff. Now, he ended up taking a job as a uh, for a title company. Now, using the money, that's what he did. He went and bought himself that, that Cadillac and everything else. And then he started hitting on every single female he saw in the apartment complex. Now, eventually... Eventually, being turned Cast down. Cast your line, man. <laughs> yeah, being turned down right and left. He actually ended up meeting uh, Kelly Boyd and moved in with Kelly Boyd. It's a woman he actually had met through work. Um, now, in May of 1977, he was told he would be a father. So he was going to be a dad. It, he's got a baby on the way. Now, he wanted to marry Kelly and did everything he could to convince her, but she wasn't sure about the plan. Although he was kind to her, he, uh, he kind of had a number of problems with responsibility, financial stability, like... And on top of all the stuff just continuing. And on top of that, she said that he was just a jealous person and lied too much. But she never left him. She stuck it out, hoping for the best. But she just didn't marry him at this time. She probably cared for him, but you know. Now his lies were so ridiculous that he actually, he actually ended up putting out an ad in the paper, um, saying that he was hiring psychologists for his uh, for his office that he didn't own. He wouldn't rent offices in downtown Los Angeles. And when somebody finally added the application, you know, uh, put in the application, he just took their credentials and copied his name over it and hung it up in his office and tried to get as many clients as he could in using a fake psychology degree. When Kelly found out about that, she was kind of like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, this is and way he, deeper than we thought. And he would just lie about it. Like, oh, I didn't <clears> tell <throat> you that I, I went to psychology school while I was in Rochester. And, like, just, just make up shit because he didn't want to work a regular job. He wanted to be a sheriff. He wanted to be a psychologist. He would just make up things of that He wasn't nature. willing to put the dues in, huh? Exactly. He just so, jumped right to it. Now, he had lost his original job. He ended up not being able to afford the offices to be a psychologist anymore. And he turned to Angelo when he's having money problems, and Angelo said, hey, why don't you and that fucking Cadillac come over here? Because I started a new pimping business. Just like I was thinking. Oh, wait, way beyond yeah. what I was thinking. So <laughs> Angelo started a pimping business and decided to bring in Bianchi because he had the right vehicle and he needed a partner. Now, <laughs> Bianchi, Kenneth, uh, was obsessed with the way he saw Angelo Kenny. treat women. And now he thought that he finally had the chance to treat women the way that he believed they should be treated. As whores. So... They had a couple of run-ins with some early girls that ended, ended up actually moving to uh, Arizona. Um, I, I didn't write down the name. I'll, I'll, I, I was saving her backstory for later for a future episode. But just a quick side note. They tried to get her, treated her like crap. She ran away, ended up getting saved by this lawyer, right, who was a criminal defense lawyer. And when Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Bono found out, they called the lawyer and said, you know what, we're going to fucking, we're going to handle you. We're going to take you out, da-da-da. This lawyer had actually covered 
a lot of cases for uh, Hell's Angels and made a call into a couple of friends, and Bianca and Angela ended up getting the shit kicked out of I them. was going to say, yeah, some so, bad motherfuckers. So they weren't very good, and they decided, you know what, we need to do a little bit safer with the pimping game, and they came across two prostitutes who had promised them a list of clients that did in-house calls. So they would just send the prostitutes to them and kind of just be the middleman, just set that whole thing up. Now, when it turned out that that list was for clients who would go to hotels or, you know, I guess, venture out as opposed to house calls. They felt slighted, they felt betrayed, and they wanted revenge. So it was just the one little token they needed to push them over the edge. Now, the two working ladies' names are Yolanda Washington, all right? Now, she was a Hollywood prostitute, and alongside her friend, Deborah Noble. Now, when they purchased the list of clients from them... So a Hollywood prostitute. We're talking the kind Hugh Grant was all about. Right. So when they found out that the client list was wrong and went looking for them, they had no idea where to find either one of these women, except for they remembered that Yolanda Washington had accidentally mentioned where specifically she worked on Hollywood. So now they like knew her actual real job or just no, like no, her, no, no, her no, no. beat, where, her area. Her beat, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Now, not being able to find Noble, who actually sold them the list, they figured they would take out their frustrations on Yolanda. Oh, jeez. So, so this was the uh, this was breaking the camel's back and actually going through with their first bit of exactly. So <sighs> the two men, all right, went looking for revenge, and the way that they went about it, especially with Bianchi's obsession with wanting to be a police officer, is they would actually pose as police officers. Go, they picked Yolanda Washington up, took her to a you know undisclosed location, raped her, strangled her, and left her on the hillside. So in 1977. So All that's right. where the, that was their spot to dump the bodies, hence the name. Yeah. So on October 17th of 1977, the Glendale police now had a brand new murder case that they had absolutely no clue how far it was to stretch. We're talking it actually covered over two states. They, they ended up having cases in Washington and California, and that's a long stretch. I was going to say, yeah, ways away, man, uh, up oh, in the Seattle area. Yeah, over, yeah. over 10 women. Over 10 women. This is just the first one, and... Uh, Yolanda Washington, October 17, 1977. This is the beginning of the case that would be known forever, the Hillside Stranglers. And that's where I'm going to leave this one. It's a very short episode. I want to cover current events. I want well, to an, well it's an intro. It's just giving us that yeah. first taste of what these guys were capable of. And yeah. I'm sickly captivated to some degree, but it's, I mean, I don't know, man. Just the, just the progression for these guys and Correct. the pieces that were in place initially for this to transpire. And, 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 and just, to, to, just, just to have that one thing to just, it's like the Pandora's box opening when you cross a line like that, you know? And then, of course, it's like, hey, all is fair game, man. Yeah, it's, Fuck it, it's, whatever. The, little, it's the, little, uh, the little allowances that they started giving themselves. Exactly. Especially, especially Bono with what he would do with women. But it's the little allowances that they started giving themselves in the way that they would justify it to each other. Well, and also the way the energy rubbed off between the two guys. And yeah. so how there was, you know, the, the one aspect of the, the lying, the, all, all, this, all, all these different things. He almost needed that other nasty presence to bring him around full circle. You yeah, know, it was like... two halves of a whole asshole. Yeah, yeah, and uh, as you mentioned earlier, and so that, that guy probably could have, to some degree, if having the right push in a positive direction in those little windows maybe not ended up on a course like this. See, a part of me thinks that Bianchi wouldn't be able to kill on his own, but, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. But the fourth episode, we're going to cover a conspiracy theory. Um, fourth portion of this new yeah, set it's of episodes. It's actually a cold yeah. case. It's actually a cold case. It's never been solved, and Bianchi's name comes up in a lot of the descriptions. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where it's like, could he have or could he not have? And as we cover uh, his personality so more and more as we go through. And see the progression of all of it. Yeah. You, you still think, I don't know if he could. 
But as we get towards the end, there's certain little, like I said, allowances that he gives himself. You're like, man, he, he's got some ticks. The dude actually, I, if you've ever seen the movie Split, it's like that. He's no, got, I've seen Split. He's, I've seen Glass. I've seen them all, man. Yeah, all he's three. got some ticks. Split was great. And yeah. Bono, I don't think Bono ever hit his intentions. He was mm-hmm. just a monster from Jump. Yeah, and that's where I was saying the difference between the two is that one was on the edge and needed the proper push to fall into it. But then once he was there, he was almost probably smarter than the other guy and more wicked right. to some degree because he had that that intellect and yeah. Yep. And, on, and on the last episode... I mean, we, the other guy seems like raw, brutish, like stupidity and yep. so on. Yeah. And on the last episode, we covered how certain agencies refuse to work together because they want to get the caller... This episode, we get to cover how two police stations from two different states actually combined to make all of this work. So this is going to be a really cool transition out of that. So we've covered head injury, nature versus nerve, stuff like that. But we're going to move on and actually talk about uh, certain aspects of profiling that actually help solve this case. How DNA started, DNA, DNA testing started taking off during this time frame. During this case specifically, it was yeah. one of the like, yeah, it's like one big, of the first times we were able to check. So okay, it's, okay, and then on top of that, um, really quick. I know we're spending a lot of time in the 1970s in California, and I read the other day, actually, that a theory is floating around that it was, like, right after the height of everybody using lead-based fuel for their vehicles and the, mm. the, and the crazy amounts of pollution in California. Yeah. They're saying that the lead in the pollution in California is what was making people just go nuts after a while. Getting I would mild not lead be poisoning. surprised, man. Yeah. So there's a lot of really cool, it's not even just the case itself, but there's just a lot of really interesting psychological things happening in just that atmosphere alone, and it's it's it's... The elements around them, it's the nature, it's also just people in general in that in that neck of the country. Oh, just, there was culturally, socially, and obviously chemically, too. So. Yeah, there's just so many things. Environmentally. Making all this crazy stuff manifest. And Perfect I mean, storm, like I like said, I said earlier, we could, dude. We could spend an entire season in the 1970s in California, but mm-hmm. I want to get to these guys next because, as I said in the last episode, Richard Chase was following this case. He was a huge fan of what was going on here. So the, And then it all ties into that conspiracy theory on the last episode of this that we're going to do. So it's just a really cool tying into each other and stuff like that so i mean um but yeah anyway that's it thank you guys so much for listening to this episode i know it was kind of short um we talked about a lot of stuff and tried to cram it all in it was a precursor kind of preview episode of the ongoing coverage on this case yeah this is almost like a sam's club sample size so (laughs) yeah The, uh, it's the, free too, so I mean, come on. <laughs> but the next episode, we're going to dive into the other nine women. We're going to describe a lot about that. We're going to talk about uh, Kenneth's home life. Um, Bono just stays Bono, so we don't have to cover him quite as much. Just, you know, hey, is he still a dick? He's still a dick. And then, uh, but Kenneth, he is a fascinating character, and you're going to get to see a lot of just, I don't know if it's his own uh, genius in a sense, or if it's just he's insane. But we're going to have some funny stories about him on the next one. That are gonna, I mean, he spends way more time lying and trying to live out these lies than he does doing anything else. Um, and somehow still found time to murder. So, and, uh, oh, real quick, I'll leave you with this. The sign Their of a code. true maniac, though, man. <laughs> yeah, his, his code word for going and doing these terrible things with Bono was he'd always tell his wife, I got to go play cards with Angelo. But you're more than welcome to come if you want. And she knew, he knew that his wife, or, you know, Kelly hated Bono. She's like, I hate that guy. I'm not going. And so for all you guys out there, if you ever want to be like, oh, I'm going to go do this, just invite the girlfriend, invite the wife, especially if you know she hates the guy. And then it's like, well, you can't say I didn't invite you, and that's your, that's your cop-out. I'm not saying murder. I'm just saying if you want free pass to hang out with your butts. Uh, but anyway. Yeah, we're not condoning hall passes <laughs> or anything like that, guys. Come on. But once again, check out Centartainment. Email us at Centartainment at Gmail. Check out Facebook.com forward slash Chiron Band AZ. Centartainment on YouTube. Reverb Nation at uh, Chiron Band or Reverb Nation 
facebook.com forward slash Chiron Band AZ. Correct Amunda. Uh, Same on Facebook, too. That's right. We'll have more information on shows. I'm Omega Twiz5150 on uh, Instagram. And Fuego is. Yeah, I'm basically Jaime and Fuego on all social media sectors. Uh, J A I M E. So kind of like Jamie, but it's like some Spanish pronunciation, y'all. So yeah, Jaime N Fuego, E N F U E G O, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. YouTube and with the Infuegotainment, but also got to give a shout out where Chiron has done some stuff previously, which is to youtube.com slash the horror show uh-huh. channel. And uh, yeah, lots of spooktacular coverage going down there too. Sometimes three episodes a day, everything from reviews to uh, trailer reactions, convention coverage, and video game Let's Plays. And Chiron has done some music stuff on there too. If you search crossing the streams and the playlists, you will find back when we were getting copyright hit for every single episode we were doing but some were demonetized and some were you know we had to trim videos out but it's 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 a fun playlist and we're looking around trying to figure out how to pursue that coverage again maybe just at, on, on a different platform so to speak yeah but uh outside of that man you guys have been amazing and this has been profiling pain so stay metal mofos and we'll catch you on the next episode peace out yeah.